0: Amen. What a wonderful hymn to sing this morning. Aren't you glad to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Amen. Please remain standing and reach for your Bibles. If you don't have one, you can reach in front of you in the Pew Bible. And uh, please follow along as we're preparing to read from God's Holy Word this morning. Our passage is found this morning in the New Testament in Acts chapter 2, verses 37 through 47. It's found in your Pew Bibles on page 1082 is preaching as we end the series on Rediscovering Church with a message on Rediscovering Congregational Worship. we were demonstrating that this morning, Pastor Chris. It was great to be singing together as a congregation. Follow along as I read in chapter 2 of Acts 37. Now when they heard, they were cut whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added their number day by day, those who were being saved. Please bow your heads and pray with me, please, this morning. Heavenly Father, how marvelous is your word, especially as we study what you have created church to be. How thankful we are for your son in that he restored us to be right with you through his death, burial, and resurrection. May we hear from you through your spirit this morning, Father, and learn how our congregational worship is so important and how we can worship you together as a church body. As always, your word is sufficient and it provides what we need to be giving with our full heart We ask, Father, that all of us would have a better understanding that this is just not another message, as there is never just another message when it's your word that's concerned, but that each sermon is your words being given to us so that we can live our lives in a manner you desire. May your congregational worship be changed as we learn the value and importance of worshiping as a church body together. We ask these things in your name, Jesus, and thank you for this time to be in your house this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I me mean,
1: encourage you to keep your Bibles open. We want you to see the sermon in the scriptures and not just on the screen or in your notes. And it's good, as Randy said, to have an all-sufficient word from God. Well, as Randy said as well, today's message is the last one in the Rediscovering Church series. And this series, over the past four weeks, for many of you, uh, may not have been anything new, but if you were like me, it was strengthened you and it energized and it encouraged me in how the gospel can create and does create his church. And for some of you, the series has been an introduction to what we believe as a church. Aren't you glad for those who have joined our church during this series? That was a blessing, amen? And for all of us, though, what I want us to remember this morning for all of us is that all that we have learned in the previous four messages, church membership, believer's baptism, the Lord's Supper, and church discipline are not an end in themselves. They're not like boxes to be checked off. There, I've done that. I can move on. Instead, each of these practices is a God-revealed means to a greater and more glorious end. You say, Chris, what is that end? It's worshiping the one true God who is a glorious trinity. Rediscovering the church is a God-given means to a glorious end. Jesus Christ builds his church to be kingdom outposts of true worshipers. In Matthew 16, 18 through 19, Jesus said to Peter and the rest of his apostles, I will build my church upon this rock. And that rock, Jesus says, is me, I am the Christ, the Son of God, the Son of David. I will build my church through the proclamation of this good news and through the profession of faith of those who hear it, repent, believe, and declare their allegiance to me as their Lord and King. Then in John 4, 21 through 24, Jesus tells an immoral Samaritan woman, and in that culture, Those were three strikes against you. And yet Jesus sought this woman out in order to tell her this good news. God is seeking true worshipers who worship Him in spirit and in truth. He goes on to say to this woman by the well, one day true worshipers will not worship on this mountain in Samaria or even on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. But they will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. But that begs a question, doesn't it? Where will they gather to worship? Where will they gather to worship? Well, the answer is found in Acts 2:37 through 47 that Randy read with us. The people of God will worship the Father and the Son in the power of the Spirit in gathered assemblies in local congregations of believers, in local churches where they gather to worship. And if you look at Acts 2 in your Bibles, it ties all of this together. The Spirit comes down to indwell God's people and set them apart as a called-out people, and this draws a crowd of curious spectators. Then Peter stands the one to whom Jesus spoke in Matthew 16. Peter stands with the 12 and he proclaims the gospel, the good news about who Jesus is and what he has done, what he is doing, and what he has yet to do to save a people for himself. Then 3,000 people step forward to profess Jesus as Savior and King and to identify with him as his devoted disciples. But then what did they do? What did they do? Well, look in your Bibles at verse 41. So then, those who had received his word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. And here's what they did they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And that is what they did. In the New American Standard, it says they were continually devoted to that, to gathering together as a local church to worship God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit as a gathered people. And that's what this final message in this series is about, rediscovering congregational worship as a church. We gather to be a local church. Visible witness of true worshipers in spirit and in truth. What Jesus promised the Samaritan woman by the well became a visible, dynamic reality on the day of Pentecost. In Acts 2 37 through 47, we see a local, visible witness. Of true worshipers and it's not just visible there on that day in Jerusalem or on this earth it was visible to the unseen world in Ephesians uh, three ten, it says that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in heavenly places I believe that includes the demonic realm but also, in 1 Corinthians 11.10, Paul tells us that how we gather to worship matters to the angels in heaven. Did you know that? That right now, there are angels in heaven observing how we order and how we gather to worship. You see, rediscovering the church is never, ever an end in itself. It's a God-revealed means to an even more glorious end, we gather to worship the one true God in the Spirit as a witness to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. As Bob Coughlin writes in his book, True Worshippers, the worship of God matters. It's never irrelevant. It's never unimportant. There is nothing more foundational to our relationship with God and to our lives as Christians. According to Jesus, true worship is in the Spirit and in truth. Worship is always to be by the book, God's book, the Bible. And so what I want us to do this morning is to look at four basic questions. There's many questions we could raise and answer about congregational worship. And maybe you want to fill out that connection card if you have other questions. But this series is on the basics of rediscovering the church. And so we're going to look at four basic questions about congregational worship. And here's the first one. Who gathers for congregational worship? Who gathers for congregational worship? And the answer I would put forth to you is found in the word that the Bible uses for church in the New Testament. That word is ecclesia in the Greek New Testament. And it simply means assembly. And when used of God's people in the New Testament, it means a called out assembly. Christians, you as Christians here this morning, are a called out people who are called out of the world by the gospel and called into the kingdom Of God's beloved Son. You see, Jesus came as the suffering king, and he is coming again as the conquering king with his kingdom, which will come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But what about the meantime? What about the in between time? He is calling out a people for himself gathering them into local assemblies that are basically outposts of his kingdom. They are like embassies of the king until he comes again. And so the local church is a called-out assembly of kingdom citizens who gather together in kingdom outposts that we call local churches to worship the risen, reigning, And returning King Jesus Christ. Now, Acts chapter 2, in this passage, very, very clearly tells us who are these called out ones who are called to assemble. Well, first of all, God's called out assembly are saved sinners. They are saved sinners. The first local church was filled with saved sinners. People who, according to verse 37, were cut to their heart by the preaching of the gospel. They were broken over their sin and their rejection of Jesus of Nazareth as the true Christ, the true God, the true Savior. And when they were, well, let me say it this way. That means there's hope for everyone here this morning. Why? Because we're all sinners. We are all sinners in need of a Savior. And if we will only repent of our sinful belief, turn to Jesus as our Savior and King, trusting in Him alone, you too, this morning, can become a true worshiper in this local assembly. Look again at verse 9. 39, I'm sorry, verse 39. For the promise... "...is for you and your children, but notice, and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself." There it is, the called-out assembly. But there's more. Who gathers to worship? Secondly, baptized believers. Baptized believers. The first local church was filled with baptized believers. In fact, it says in verse 38, each of you or every one of you be baptized. The New Testament knows nothing of a believer that's not wet between the toes and behind the ears. It's simply true that all believers are to be baptized. And of course, baptism doesn't add to our salvation, but it does publicly identify us with the one who is saving us and with those who are are being saved in the same way. Who gathers to worship? save sinners who have been baptized on the right side of salvation with believer's baptism. But who else is here? Thirdly, ministering members. Ministering members are in the called-out assembly. Look again at verse 41. So then those who had received his word, there's the saved sinners, were baptized, there's baptized believers, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. There are the ministering members of the local church. Notice the order. It proceeds, believing, baptizing, adding to the membership. These are warm bodies with living souls, that heard the gospel, believed the gospel, identified with the gospel through baptism, and were now added as ministering members to the local church. Now you say, Chris, how do you know they were ministering? Well, notice, they were all ministering members. Look at verses 42 through 47. There's no exception in that. Everyone who believed and were baptized and were added, everyone was continually devoted to these ministry aspects of the gathered assembly. All those who believed. And it goes on down through the passage. No one is accepted. So in other words, none of this are options as we move through our Christian life. Bob Coughlin puts it this way, Worship is ultimately about God, but it's not solely about God. God wants to receive glory as we serve others with our gifts. In fact, that is one of the primary reasons we gather. As we exercise our gifts, God is in our midst, building us up both as individuals and as a body of believers. So, who gathers? Save sinners who joyfully submit to believers' baptism and are committed ministering members. Why? Because, fourthly, they are devoted disciples. They are devoted disciples. Again, verse 42. They were continually devoting themselves to the life of a disciple. This is what the church is all about, folks. It's about making disciples who make disciples who make disciples of all nations. One author has described the local church as the company of the committed, a congregation of devoted disciples. And what I want you to see this morning is that verse 42 is not an optional add-on to being born again. It's not an add-on to being baptized, it's not an optional add-on after being becoming a member of a local church. Instead, it is the logical and continual result of all of these. We're born again as disciples. We don't choose to be. We're born again as disciples to become devoted disciples. We're baptized as the first step of a lifetime of obedience as devoted disciples. We commit to being ministering members in this local church to multiply devoted disciples like ourselves. And all of this is a God-given means to an even greater glorious end, gathering to worship the Lord as a witness to those who are not yet saved. Look down at verse 47. Why is all this assembling happening? What's supposed to occur? What is the witness? Notice verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. A witness of their worship led to calling out More people to be saved. Now let me make just four quick observations as you look at these four uh, descriptions of who gathers to worship. And the first is this. Who gathers for congregational worship is simply a summary of the previous four messages. If you look at that, that's what the whole series was about. Church membership. Only saved sinners are to join Believers' baptism, plainly practiced after salvation and before membership. Lord's Supper, a repeated communion of ministering members. It's vitally connected to both membership and to discipleship. And then, when we, the message last week on church discipline, the corrective essential to growing devoted disciples. This is merely a summary of of who gathers to worship. The second observation is this. These are not four kinds of people. These are four facets of a true worshiper. In other words, these are not four levels of commitment that we choose. I'll choose to be saved, but I won't choose to be baptized. I'll I'll choose to be baptized, but I don't really want to join. I'll, I'll join, but I don't want to be a devoted disciple. No, these are not levels of commitment but a lifestyle that every believer is called to. The third observation is this. The point is not perfection, but progression. You know, you might look at those and say, man, I don't measure up. I'm just going to give up. I'm just going to turn away. I I can't do it. And the truth is you can't do it. That's why we gather in the name of the Lord for Him to bestow His grace through the gathered worship of of our church. And because perfection is not achieved this side, that's why there is church discipline, which we see happen in Acts chapter 5. The fourth observation is this. The gathered assembly is primarily for the saved and not the unsaved. It's for the saved and not so much the seeker. It's for the devoted member and not so much the occasional attender. We see this in Acts chapter 5 after the church discipline takes place in Acts chapter 5. If you want to turn there in verses 11 through 13. Acts chapter 5, 11 through 13. We find these words. After a divinely act of amazing discipline on the disobedient within the church... Notice the result, verse 11, as Pastor Bruce spoke about the loving result of church discipline. And great fear came over the whole church and over all who heard these things. You see, there's a separation. There is the church and then all who heard these things. At the hands of the apostles, there were many signs and wonders taking place among the people. But notice, what was the result in the church? They were all with one accord in Solomon's portico. They were all in unity as a gathered assembly. But look at verse 13. But none of the rest dared to associate with them. However, the people held them in high esteem. I mean, there's a definite separation between the called-out assembly and those who are not yet saved, but who are curious, who are seeking, who are looking, and who are watching. And they're saying, hey, I'm not ready to make this commitment yet. I'm going to steer clear of those guys. God is evident among them, and yet I hold them in respect because they're living out with integrity and not hypocrisy that which they profess. You say, well, yeah, but what about unsaved seekers or attenders? Before anybody gets up and leaves, wait. Listen to what the Bible is saying and what the Bible is not saying. Gathered worship is primarily for the saved, but not solely for the saved. The unsaved seeker and the occasional tender is always, always, Always to be invited to gather with us, amen. And always, always, always warmly welcomed when they do, amen. Selah, full stop, according to First Corinthians 14, the worship gathering should be conducted with unsaved people, even in mind, we should be thinking about how is our worship coming across. Do they understand? Are we clear in what we sing, what we pray, what we preach? But the gathered worship is not primarily about them. And guess what? It's not primarily about you and I either. It is primarily about the God we gather to worship. Listen. If you're here this morning as a seeker or an attender, this is all good news for you straight from the heart of God. Because God's not only seeking true worshipers, God is in the business of making us true worshipers of Him. You see, Jesus found the woman at the well. She didn't find Him. Jesus sought her out to make her a true worshiper of the one true God, through Jesus, by the Spirit. Listen, this is good news this morning, beloved. God is seeking and making true worshipers here this morning. And you can become one simply by responding to the person and the work of Jesus Christ, trusting Him alone, turning from your sins, turning from our own thinking and our own working and our own striving and our own philosophies and ideologies, instead entrusting ourselves fully to the gospel. So we know who gathers, but when do they gather? When do they gather? That's our second question. The second question is this, when do we gather for congregational worship? Now remember, worship is by the book. So what does the Bible tell us about when to gather for congregational worship? And I would sum it up in one simple principle. Sunday is the first day of a week of worship. Sunday is the first day of a week of worship. And I want to just go through four biblical reasons why Sunday is the day we gather As one body of Christ. Let's look at, first of all, the primacy of Sunday in God's redemptive fulfillment. You see, under the old covenant, God's people gathered and assembled and they worshiped on Saturday. Under the new covenant, it is now the first day, not the seventh day, which is Saturday, the first day, which is Sunday, is the day set apart for gathered worship. You say, well, Chris, why is that? And the Easter answer is pretty simple, right? This is the day Jesus rose from the dead. And that began the new creation. Sunday is also prim- is pr- uh, the primacy in God's plan. When you think about Sunday's of the day Jesus first appeared to his disciples. He appeared to Mary, he appeared to Peter, he appeared to the two on the road to Emmaus, he appeared to the eleven on Sunday without Thomas, and then a week later, he appears again to the twelve, including Thomas, all on Sunday. Sunday is the day the church was born. Acts 2 is taking place on Sunday. The church was birthed on Sunday. Sunday is the day the Apostle John received the last book of the Bible, the revelation of Jesus Christ. John says in Revelation 1.10, he was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And it's that day, the Lord's day, is what is known as the first day of the week or Sunday. And I will throw this out, and I separate myself. This is now my opinion based on this pattern. I truly believe that Sunday will be the day the Lord returns. You say, Chris, are you predicting a day? No, I don't know which Sunday. I don't know which month. I don't know which year. And the Scriptures doesn't say this, but it wouldn't surprise me at all if the Lord came to bring His kingdom, and it was on a Sunday. The primacy of the first day of the week, Sunday, in God's redemptive plan, It's a strong argument for gathering on Sunday to worship our risen Lord. And in fact, that's what the early church did. Secondly, the pattern in the New Testament early church. If you look in the book of Acts, right here in Acts 2, but also in Acts 20, verse 7, it says, on the first day of the week when we were gathered to break bread. In Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, He says this in chapter 16, verse 2. He instructs the church to take up offerings on the first day of the week. And why is the first day so important? Thirdly, the promise of the coming kingdom and new creation. The promise of the coming kingdom and new creation. Every Sunday, not just Easter, every Sunday. If you want to come to church on Resurrection Sunday, then come every Sunday. Because every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. And every Sunday we gather to remember our King has risen. He's reigning and He's returning. And He's going to gather us who are gathered. He's going to gather us up into His presence. Now, folks, think about it. What greater way to testify to our belief in, in Jesus who is risen and returning than to gather together to worship in his name and for the fame of his name until he returns for us. Do you realize that's why we take the Lord's Supper? Remember the message on the Lord's Supper. We do this until he comes. And do you realize he will not partake of it until I eat of it new with you in the kingdom. This Sunday, this we gather to remember he's coming and the kingdom will come with him. Think about Hebrews ten twenty five. Do not forsake the gathering of yourselves together as the manner of some is, and do this all the more as you see the day approaching. Each Sunday is a testimony that this earth is not my final destination. It is the kingdom that will come to this earth. I am a kingdom citizen, and I gather with his kingdom people to affirm my faith in our kingdom, God. We gather because we're new creations who can't wait for that final consummation when all things will be made right, when every tear will be wiped away, when the curse will be gone, when sin, disease, and death will be no more. And therefore, fourthly, the priority in our daily lives, the priority in our daily lives. As I've already said, in Revelation 1:10, the apostle John refers to Sunday as the Lord's Day. And not only him, but the second century church in the 100s ADs would refer to the Lord to Sunday in the first day of the week as the Lord's Day. Why? Because Sunday is to be his day. His day. The priority was to gather together to worship the Lord on his day, the Lord's day. Now, let me give you an awesome illustration of this from Revelation 1. The Apostle John, as you know, was in exile on the Isle of Patmos, away, exiled, and he's all alone because of his faith and because of his witness for Jesus Christ. He's all by himself, but because he understood the first day of the week was the Lord's day, he was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, even while he was in exile. Now think about this. If Sunday was just any other day, and you talk about a guy who had an excuse not to gather, he's on an island all by himself. But here's the principle. John only gathered alone when he could not gather together with the local church. And yet on that Sunday, all alone, what is on his mind, what is on his heart? The risen Lord and the seven churches of Asia. He couldn't be there physically but He was there in spirit, just like in our church when we have the elderly, the homebound, and the sick who gather alone because they cannot gather together. Not gathering because of fear, but gathering, not gathering because I can't get there. I can't be there. Now, when we talk about when to gather on Sunday, all sorts of practical questions arise that we don't have time to to settle in this message. For instance, is there a set time to gather in the early church? And the answer is no, no. Uh, If they went by Jewish time, Sunday would begin on Saturday night. Let that blow your mind a little. Okay, If they were going by Roman time, then it would be Sunday morning. But many were slaves, and so we see in the book of Acts, God's people gathering on the first day of the week late at night after they had all gotten off work, if you can call being a servant slave. Is there a certain length of time to gather? The answer is no, no. And yet they gathered one time so long, the poor guy fell out the window asleep, and Paul had to raise him from the dead it be wonderful to have that gift, wouldn't it? Can we meet more than once on Sundays? Yes, yes. Can we meet other days of the week? Yes, look here in Acts 2. We see them meeting day by day, okay? But the priority was Sunday because that day is the Lord's day. Listen, folks, true worshipers don't seek reasons not to gather on Sunday. True worshipers don't make excuses to not gather on Sunday. And I know I'm preaching to the choir here. We're all gathered. True worshipers, though, diligently fight to gather on Sunday. And why is that? Because we desire to. It's not a have to. It's a want true that, granted, goes up and down. You know, it's like the old story. You know, I turned to my wife and said, do I have to go to church? And she turns and says, yeah, you're the pastor. You got to go. Okay, we're all that way. We're human too. But deep in our hearts, we're filled by the Spirit of God, and there is a desire to be with the people of God. And if you listen to the believers during this pandemic, what they longed for, what they yearned for was when can we gather again? We desire to gather. We are devoted to gathering. Look again at verse 42. They were continually devoted. This is such a key term. It carries everything else in the remainder of the passage. And the idea there is that we are so, I like the the New King James says, continued steadfastly. The New American Standard, continually devoted. Listen, in verse 42, when you're continually devoted to something, you persevere in doing it in the hardest of times. Verse 46, this word devoted shows up again in verse 46, day by day, continuing with one mind. Why? Because that that continuing is devoted. Why? Because when you're devoted to something, you're preoccupied with it all the time. Sunday is not a one-day worship event. It's the first day of a week of worship. And then we're disciplined in gathering for worship. Hebrews ten twenty-five, not forsaking. The assembling together of ourselves. But here's the, the, the crowning point. We are destined to gather for worship. Do you, do you realize that this is a dress rehearsal for all of eternity? We gather because one day we will be gathered together with our king. And so here's the point. If this is our destiny, shouldn't it be our priority each and every week? Sunday is the first day of a week of worship. Think about it this way. Sunday worship is the overflow and the kickstart to a lifestyle of worship during the week. As you worship during the week, the overflow comes on Sunday. You say, yeah, but Chris, last week wasn't too good. That's all right. Sunday's your kickstart for another week of worship. It's that rhythm that comes. So we know who gathers. We know when to gather. You came the right day. Number three, where do we gather for congregational worship? Where do we gather? Now, notice in our passage that the church gathered in a particular city. What city was that? Jerusalem, right? And they were known as the church in or at Jerusalem. But they also met as one body on the east porch, east, east side of Solomon's temple. They also met day by day going house to house. So ultimately, the answer of where we gather is found in the phrase, local church. So let's look at that. We gather as a, quote, local church. Why? Because we have a geographical location in a specific place. Now that place, listen to me, that place can be with a building or without a building. It can be in a building that has a mortgage or doesn't have a mortgage. Let me ask you this morning, aren't you glad we have a building and no mortgage? As a church, amen. We gather here. It may be by a river, like in Acts 16, and yet as soon as Lydia gets saved, she says, Oh, let me open my house for the for the, the planting of the Philippian church. It might be under a tree or on a porch in Africa, as our missionaries there do. It may be in an old barn in Romania, as one of my greatest worship. Times with God's people was in a barn in Romania. It may be in a living room or a strip mall for a new church plant. Listen, yes, the church is not a building, but a people. And yet the people of God do gather in one geographical location to worship as one assembly or body. Now, as Americans, we often say we're going to church, right? But if you were in Scotland, the believers in Scotland, the word for church is Kirk, and how they say it there when they gather for congregational worship, they say the Kirk goes in. What do you think about that, Kirk? The Kirk goes in. Glad you're here this morning. The Kirk goes in. The church goes in. Rather than just simply thinking we're going to church, no, the church is going in to gather for worship. Now, secondly... This means that there is also a physical location as a gathered people. So a geographical location puts local in the phrase local church. A physical location puts the church in the phrase local church because church means assembly. So even though there were house churches in the New Testament, When you study 1 Corinthians 11 through 14, especially, well, both, 11 and 14, there is a significance when the church is gathered together. Paul even says, in the church, I would like such and such to take place. What's he meaning? He's meaning that you're the church when you're scattered, but there is a special spiritual significance to the church gathered in one location. As one church leader put it, when the church gathers expectantly in one place at one time to hear God's word proclaimed, it is a unique event. God himself addresses us as his people. The spirit works in our heart at once to convict, to comfort, to illumine and exhort. Not only are we being strengthened individually, we're being strengthened as a body. And we can thank God. Listen, we can thank God for the opportunities to listen to messages on our own or online, but we can thank Him even more that we get to hear them in person with the church. We have been called out to be called together. Now, as God's people, we should know who gathers to worship, when to gather to worship, and where we gather. It it never ceases to uh, to amaze me. Sometimes when you're talking to people, they find out that you're a pastor and they say, oh, yeah, 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 I go to church. And of course, as pastors, the next question is going to be, oh, where do you go? Uh, No, really, I I do go. uh, Listen, we need to know. We need to know who gathers. We need to know when and where. But most of all, we need to know why, don't we? Here's the fourth question. Why do we gather for congregational worship? And the simple answer is this. We gather to glorify God and to enjoy being together in His presence. Amen? I see some dead heads nodding. Listen, folks. Don't take this ever for granted. Because if the Lord tarries and he allows, we will grow older. And there will come a time where you may be homebound, that you may be isolated due to the physical and the sickness and the weakness of the body. And you will long for those days when you can gather with God's people. But what are we to be doing together? Well, I think the timeless essential core of gathered worship is given to us in verse 42. Notice they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. That is first for a reason, because worship is to be by the book. And then notice... And to the fellowship, participating in the mutual sharing, caring, and giving to one another. To the breaking of bread, participating in the Lord's Supper, the communion of our body and the other ordinances as they are offered, baptism and church discipline when needed. And then finally, to prayer, the praising and praising of uh, the praying to God, and praising of God, because worship is about making much of Him and not ourselves. So here's how I would sum this up. We gather for congregational worship. Why do we gather? We gather for congregational worship. What is that? To preach the Word, to hear the Word, to sing the Word, to pray the Word, to see the Word in the ordinances to obey the Word. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, those who are unsaved who gather with us should be able to look around and say, God, God is in this place. And then what do we do? We scatter as the church to live and share the Word. Listen, our worship should manifest itself in a daily witness among the unsaved. Look at how uh, chapter 2 ends. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And as a consequence of that worship, that witness of worship, others were added. In Acts eleven nineteen, it says, So then they were scattered because of persecution and they went about speaking the word. And so here's why we gather. We gather in order to scatter, and we scatter in order to gather more in so that we then scatter. And you know what's the result of that is? The result is our worship is to mobilize us for missions. When you move through this process, Pattern In the book of Acts, you come to Acts chapter 13, and what happens in Acts 13 is a local church at Antioch is gathered in worship, and out of that worship comes the mobilization for missions. Listen, worship is the glorious end. And so what is congregational worship? You see it there in your notes. It's our weekly commitment to the risen Lord that joyfully expresses our identity and destiny as, call, as a called-out assembly for His glory, our good, and the joy of all peoples. J.C. Ryle said this, Much of our spiritual prosperity depends, under God, on the manner in which we employ our Sundays. And so for application, we won't go through it, but I hope you pick up this handout. If you saw the handout, seven commitments to rediscover congregational worship. By God's grace, let's recommit here into the holidays and moving into a new year that we will gather for these glorious purposes, knowing who we are, why we're here, where and when, we gather. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come with grateful hearts for all you have given to us as your people. God, forgive us for not being more thankful every day of the week, but especially this week, Lord. May our gathering together always, always make much of you. May our worship Be a witness, and may it be the first day of a week filled with worship of you. If any are seeking, Lord, make them true worshipers this morning by your gospel. May they turn to you in repentance and faith. May they lay their lives broken, bleeding, hurting, wounded, and realize that you are gentle and lowly. And you will heal, and you will save, and you will indwell them. Father, if we are here and we are wavering, and we are discouraged, and we're looking too much at the world, may we remember why we gather, that we gather to make much of you. You have risen, you are reigning, you are returning to gather us into your presence. And for that, as God's people, we say amen and amen in the name of Jesus, our King.